Have you ever just stopped and looked to see how many people there are? If you've been in an airport, especially a really busy airport or a mall, or if you go to a, a game, what, some sporting game, and you see these masses of people, this world is full of people. And every one of them has a soul. Every single person that you come into contact with, whether they're a friend or family member or stranger, and the only time you will ever see them in your life as you cross their path in the airport, they have a soul. And that is a really daunting thought to think of the number of souls that are out there that are walking and they have no idea the purpose that the Lord has put them for in this life. Each person I, enter, I see has a soul that, whether I have a brief interaction with them or extended, to have an opportunity to share that gospel with them. And when we go through the lesson today, this lesson is as much for me as it is for some of you. The, if you ever wonder if I'm stepping on toes or, or, or being a little too somber, I haven't done my job. I haven't done what I ought to do when it comes to personal evangelism and sharing the gospel. So it's not picking on anyone, it's just an open and honest discussion about what I need to work on. Into our hands the gospel is given, into our hands is given the light. Haste let us carry God's precious message, guiding the erring back to the light. You have been given a tremendous gift by someone. Someone took the time in your life to at some point share the gospel, to tell you that there's meaning, there's hope, there's cleansing, there's a release of burden. They gave that to you because whatever their motivations, what they might be, obligation, duty, or love, they gave that to you. And it's a gift that is meant to be passed on. The lesson today is about that opportunity that we have to pass on that gift, to pay it forward, per se. Now, when we talk about lessons about personal evangelism, it's really easy to, to get into how do we go about doing it? What are all the techniques and approaches that we can use? And, and, and that was considered with, with, for my lesson, um, and it's certainly appropriate, but I, I think most of you probably know the basic approaches, but there are some fundamental things that I think perhaps get in the way beyond the techniques about what you can do and the approaches that you can take that perhaps we need to deal with these fundamental things before our techniques will have any effectiveness at all. There is a customer relations quote that says, customers don't want to be communicated with en masse. They want individual attention that is authentic and customized to their needs. They want to be seen as an individual person. Think about you, when you go to a store when you walk into wherever it might be, you don't want to be seen as another face in the crowd. You want to be seen as a person and treated not as a number, but as a person. And good companies recognize that. I, I despise calling companies for help 
because you get into that endless phone tree. And I keep hitting zero. Be Why do I keep hitting zero? I want to talk to a person, okay? I don't want to talk to a computer. I want to talk to a person because I want that personal touch. And I, a lot of you are nodding your heads because I think you feel the same way. You want that personal touch when you're dealing with a company or you're dealing with a business, especially if you, if you have a problem that you want solved. Talk to me. Don't show me a computer. I want you to think about how we normally go about, you know, when it comes to religion, we, religion is one of the most personal aspects of an individual's life. Even if they claim to not have a religion, they just don't like talking about it. Why? Because it's very close. Think about these people. When we have conversations with one another, we all have our personal comfort zone. Some of you are far talkers. Some of you are really close talkers. You kind of get right in. You get into my personal space. But that's OK. When it comes to bringing up religion, people think, well, you just jumped right into my personal space. And it's very uncomfortable for them. And because of that, we often don't bring up this subject very often. We don't approach it, or it's really difficult for us because we know we're getting into an area that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. So what do we normally do? We may, it's easier for us to talk with strangers. So if you talk with a stranger and you go up, you introduce yourself, you knock on their door, you introduce yourself, you say you're with, you're, you're with so and so, maybe you say you're from a church or not, but you start bringing up this, this conversation, this cold conversation about religion, and most of these conversations end up with a very polite dismissal. We may push it a little bit, but, old, but we go our way and they go their way. Now, think about their thoughts, especially, you know, I, I walked with a man one time and we were, we were walking around and he always felt that it was important for, to ask them a question. And the question as we would leave was, are you sure that your church is teaching the truth? And can you, we think about that, and it's like, here I am, a total stranger, and, and challenging or questioning their religion. And they may think, who is this person, and where are they coming from? Well, have I done my responsibility, according to the Bible, to share the gospel? Perhaps. Is it very effective? Probably not. Why? Because I don't know the person. It's, there's no relationship there. It's a cold call, a knock on a door, that I'll probably never step in front of that door ever again. It's not effective because I don't know them. When you go to a doctor, you want that doctor to know you. The reason why you pick your friends and your family members and you draw close to someone is because they know you. You're free to open up about your life and your loves and your fears and so on because there is a relationship there. It's a relationship bound, founded on something, but generally something common. We share stories, we admit our mistakes and weaknesses, our hobbies, we ask for help, we sit down for morning coffee. It's a bit cliche, but people don't care what you know until they know what, that you care. Because I have a relationship with these people, whoever they may be, I know how to talk with them. In the book of Jude, Jude 22 and 23, and on some have compassion who are doubting, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. 
hating even the garment defied by the flesh. Instead of who are doubting, that in English Standard Version says, making a distinction. That you need to know the person you're talking with. Some people you're going to have to be very blunt and very direct with. Some you need to use a lighter hand. The only way that you know that is if you know that person ahead of time. Well, who are those people? Your friends, your family, your neighbors. Have you reached out to them? I know for me, sometimes the reasons why I don't bring it up is I, I value that relationship and I don't want to break that relationship because I know or I'm afraid that the first time I bring up religion, I could potentially fracture that relationship and, and I don't want to do that. But what is that mentality? That mentality is that my relationship here on earth is more important than a potential eternal relationship. And, and really, I've got things wrong. My perspective is wrong. I want to see all of you in heaven with me. I ought to want to have all of my neighbors, all of my coworkers, and, and if, they re if they reject that message, those conversations about God and Christ, are they rejecting me? They're not rejecting me. That's what God told Samuel when the nation went up to Samuel and said they wanted a king. It really upset Samuel, and God said, they aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting me. The message, if someone rejects the message, it's not, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting the Lord. But I want you to consider this. There was a survey that was put out about how did you first find out about your con current congregation? The best method, 38% of people said that they were invited by someone who they knew. There was that personal connection first. One congregation reports 80% of first time visitors came because they were personally invited. 41% of people who have left church said that they would come back if they were invited by someone who they know. The fields are a whole lot wider than what we think. The people that you know may be far more willing to have religious discussions about their salvation if we just had the courage to talk about it. About two-thirds of Americans would go to church if someone they knew asked them. We should never, ever underestimate the power of personal touch. And you are blessed with something that is so wonderful. You are a walking example of Christ. You ought to be Christ. The Bible, this world, is spiritually and biblically illiterate, but they can read you. We are the world only Bible the careless world will read. We are the sinner's gospel. We are the scoffer's creed. We are the Lord's last message given in deed and word. What if the type is crooked? What if the print is blurred? What if your hands are busy with other work than his? What if your feet are walking where sin's allurement is? What if our tongues are speaking of things his lips would spurn? How can we hope to help him and hasten his return? It's going to be very difficult for me 
to be an effective example of Christ or be an effective walking Bible if the message of my life contradicts the message of the gospel. So the first thing about personal evangelism that I want to talk about, talk about is getting personal. It's you. To make sure that, that you have it right in your own heart and in your own eyes. Now the Lord's message can overcome all my failures. Jonah is an example of that. Jonah did not want to evangelize. He did not want to go to Nineveh. And I'm pretty certain that he probably didn't really have his heart into the message. Because after he was done, he was ready to watch the show. He was ready to watch that city destroyed. But the city was saved despite him because of God's message. It is powerful, and it cuts to the heart for those who are willing to listen. But we shouldn't become an obstacle for God's message. We should become a conduit for his message. So I'll give you a point. If I was asked by someone to stand up in front of a group of people and try and convince them to be fans of Kansas Jayhawk basketball, I would not be very effective, okay? It's because I just don't care, all right? That's not an insult. It's just not important to me. I, I don't follow it. I, I will watch it from time to time, but it's not important to me. Because it's not important to me, I just don't have that passion and that drive to do that thing. Some of you would be far better at it than me. You can't convince someone of something you don't believe in or something that you're not passionate about. All right? I cannot be a salesman of a product I don't believe in. But I'll be a really good salesman, I think, for a product that I do believe in. Some of you, I imagine all of you, has something that you really, really enjoy and you're very passionate about. Because I've been in those conversations. It's been a sporting team, or it's been, it's been hunting, or fishing, or a hobby, or your job, or whatever it may be, that you really get into those conversations. And you have no problem. You look forward to those conversations. That's what we ought to be when it comes to discussing issues of the Lord, is we need to have that same passion and that same drive that we look forward to it. But we can't do that unless that passion is real. You can't fabricate it. I want you to consider Paul's statements in Philippians 3. In verse 7 he says, But what things were, were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Verses 13 and 14. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I've left everything. I've left it all because my passion, my goal is in front of me. And nothing else is important. He had the right perspective in life about what was most important. And it had nothing to do with all of the great achievements that he personally had accomplished. He said they don't mean anything. 
You also can't teach what you don't know. You may, I, I remember when we lived in Ozark, I had an opportunity to be a freelance sports writer. So I covered high school sports. And, and there was a particular boy on the football team. He was a running back. He was always the one who led the prayers. And he, he was always a good-natured kid. So during one of my interviews with him, he and I were talking, and I said, oh, something about patience of Job. And he said, who's that? And I said, well, it's in the Bible. He goes, oh, I don't read the Bible much. And it just shocked me. It was really sad, because here we have someone who, who openly prays and, and, and talks about his faith in God, but ultimately has very little to rest that faith on. You cannot convince someone of something you don't know, that you haven't studied, that you haven't read about. So if you want to be an effective medium for God's word, you have to know God's word. I'm very comfortable with this statement that all of you read. I see it in the Facebook posts, in the replies that you would make that my wife shows me. I hear it in your conversations. I see the books that you read, and hear the things that you talk about that you've read, but we need to know God's word. We need to take time to study the only word that is enduring. Psalm 119.37, David writes, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way. We can't teach if we don't know it. Hebrews chapter 5, the last half of that chapter, Paul says, he goes, I want to talk with you about Melchizedek, but I can't because you're not there. You ought to be teachers, but instead someone has to teach you. You're spiritually immature, and you need to move beyond that. If we don't know God's word, there's no way we can share it. We just ought to know it just because it's the right thing to do. And at a very basic level, we must know how to explain our faith and our conviction and our hope to the lost. 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. These are those elementary things that are also in, in the next chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, the elementary principles of Christ of repentance, of faith, of baptism, of laying on of hands, of, e of the resurrection, of eternal judgment. These basic things, including your hope. Why do you believe in God? Can you give an articulated answer to that question that would be convincing? Why do you believe in Jesus Christ? Why is it that you think that he is the only hope of your salvation? This is what 1 Peter 3.15 is about, to be ready to give an answer. That doesn't mean you have to be at an evangelist level. <clears throat> give your answer, your personal answer. What brought you to Christ? And share that. And maybe you think, I don't know how. I, I don't know how I would explain it. Well, perhaps then we need to work on our conviction then. Sometimes we realize how weak our faith is when we try and explain our faith. 
And also, we're not going to be very good as an evangelist if we don't love the lost. It is the, the fleshly side of me that when I see someone who misbehaves or sins, Satan wants us to hope for that person to be punished. He, because when we have that hope, we have no love. What do, you, what do you see when you look upon your wayward friends or family or strangers? Do you throw up your hand in disgust? I've tried, I've tried, and I can't do any more. Do you wash your hands and walk away? Do you quietly discuss how they're going to get their deserves? They're going to get what's coming to them on the judgment day. Or do you just not care? Does it bother you that most, much of humanity is walking in a way that is contrary to God? Does that bother you? Do you love the lost? The Lord can overcome our apathy. Jonah proves that. But it shouldn't be that way. We should have a love for the lost. James 5.20, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. How many of you will stop if you see a car wreck happen to see how that person is? How many of you will stop to see if, if there's anyone in a house that's on fire? How many of you will help someone in need? You see a kid riding his bike, and he wrecks, and you know he's broken his arm. If you will stop and help those people, why won't you stop and give them something more important? There are things that hurt worse than a broken arm. And I need to do a better job of sharing that. Step two, we've talked about our, our abilities, but also we need to talk about what are we trying to accomplish when we do this personal evangelism. Regardless of our knowledge, our abilities, our motivation, if our motivations are not right, our efforts um, could potentially do more harm than good. If, just to give you a crazy example, if I'm, if I try and evangelize, so I, if I intentionally do this to get pats on the back from others, my heart is not right. So that's kind of an extreme example, but, but there's some other subtle things. That, that I think perhaps we get the cart before the horse a little bit. Evangelizing is not about winning the argument. Evangelizing is about saving souls. This is where I'm really, really guilty. I'll, I'll have a conversation with someone, and, and, I, and I'll ask them where do they go to church, and I immediately start thinking of all the things that they're doing wrong or all the beliefs that are wrong, the false teachings. And sometimes we are so quick to jump into those things. Well, did you know the Bible says you're not supposed to do this? You know the Bible says you're not supposed to do this. Don't do this. And so what do they walk away? They walk away thinking that we're all critical of them. We've done nothing to encourage them. Paul, do you think when Paul went to cities that he could see all of the bad things that they were doing? Absolutely. In Acts 17, he walks into Athens. 
And I can imagine walking into that city that time as a Christian and thinking this city has it so wrong. But what did Paul do in every place that he went? He found some common ground. He found some starting point. He says, I see that you're very religious. Is that a, can that be considered a compliment? Absolutely. He used that starting point to teach of them of the real living God. But he found something in common with all of his letters. Even when he criticizes a congregation or a person, he finds something in common to create a relationship with. Because he's not trying to win the argument. He's trying to save their soul. Evangelizing is also not about getting them, it's not about getting them to church services. It's about getting them to Christ. How many times have you heard this? This person really needs to start coming to church. I have a I have a, a coworker who um, he and I have been having semi weekly Bible studies before before church and during one of our recent studies he goes he said I really need to I really need to get my family going to church again and and I said you actually have it backwards and he said well what do you mean I said you need to find Christ first. And once you find Christ, then the church part's gonna take care of itself. I think perhaps we take this solace that someone's in the building and then we feel better about it. They may be in the building, but their heart's not at the cross. I would rather have a congregation of 20 members where everyone is fully committed to the Lord than a congregation of 200 full of a lot of dead wood. It's not about getting them to church. It's about getting them to Christ. And the other stuff will take care of itself. I want you to think of some stories in the Old Testament. King Joash was a young boy when he became king. In all of the stories of the kings, at the very beginning of their life, the Bible will say that they were faithful all of their days, or they did not walk in the ways of the Lord, walked in the sins of, of, of the world. With Joash, it said that he was faithful all of the days of Jehoiada, which is interesting. Jehoiada was his mentor. Jehoiada was the high priest, who was that father figure for Joash, who raised him up and taught him the law of the Lord. And as long as Jehoiada was there, Joash was good. In fact, he even criticized Jehoiada when the priests weren't doing their job. But when Jehoiada died, the nation came to Joash and they said, essentially, we really don't want to follow God anymore. We really want to follow Baal. And Joash said, okay. Joash and Jehoiada were bringing, metaphorically bringing the nation to church, but the nation didn't really want to be there. Their heart was not right. Same thing with King Josiah. King Josiah was righteous. 
He was one, he was the last great spiritual king. He had all of these great reforms. He, he burned all of the idols. He tore down all of their, their altars. He killed all of their priests. He reinstituted the law, reinstituted the festivals. He, his heart was right. But it didn't stick because the nation didn't want it. I think Josiah had three or four sons who were king after him, and none of them followed his law and his way. When you bring someone to Christ first, then coming to church will stick. Personal evangelism. And, and one other thing, in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, Paul says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was his primary message. When I was growing up, um, I, I took a class from, from one of the older men. We have quarters. So it was a three-month class. And it was on the, the defining characteristics of the church, the defining characteristics of the church of Christ. We talked about doctrines. We talked about practices. We talked about what the true church does, what the true church doesn't do. And I, ha and I, have, I still have the book. I never took a class on the defining principles of Christ. Sometimes I think we get things upside down, that we put the church ahead of Christ. The church is comprised of people. As hard as I try, I will disappoint you. I will fail. I will make mistakes. I will hurt you. If you build your faith on me, I will break that. But when you build your faith on Christ, you build something that is much better than anybody here. You will build your faith on something that is eternal. Evangelism is also not about getting somebody wet. It's about getting them saved. I think we overemphasize baptism. Now, let me explain that a little bit. I've heard so many invitations where that is the only thing that is talked about. Be baptized, be baptized, be baptized. That is the last step in a very, very long process. You get them convinced of their sins. You get them convinced that Christ is the only way. You get them convinced that they need to do something about it then the water will come. I've had conversations where someone will say, I'm really worried about so-and-so because they're not baptized. Well, that's not the problem. The problem is that they're not convinced of their sins yet. My daughters from probably six or seven years old could tell you that baptism is important and essential. But that's not what they need. They need Christ. They need to understand what salvation is. Remember Stephen's response to the Ethiopian in Acts 8, 36 and 37. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Did Stephen say, let's go do it? No, he said, there's something first. 
Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? If you believe with all your heart, then you may. If he wasn't to that point, would that water have done him any good? Wouldn't have done him any good at all. Evangelizing is not about making me feel good. If I emphasize church going, then I feel good because I got more people in the pews. Or emphasize just getting wet with a baptism, then I feel good because they've done that that thing. But our evangelism needs to be on things that will last and be eternal and that will outlast our lives. And when we have our motivations right, then we will be far more effective in how we share the Lord with others. Ultimately, it comes down to, is this important to you? How important is it for your neighbors to be in heaven with you? How important is it for all of your family members how important is it for your coworkers, those who you have a relationship with? We talk a lot about sharing the gospel in foreign fields. You know what? Sometimes that foreign field is your backyard. Let's reach out to all of God's fields and share the gospel because someone did it for you. Thank you.